there's a purpose that God has behind joy. And that is, I think, to capture our existential crisis, to capture these very things that we fear most and tell us that I have given you a joy to protect you. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. The text for today's sermon is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you gave me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the Son of Destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the cosmos, so they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the cosmos has hated them, because they are not of the cosmos, just as I am not of the cosmos. I do not ask you to take them out of the cosmos, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the cosmos, just as I am not of the cosmos. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the cosmos, so I send them into the cosmos. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. uh, We are plotting, we are going, I I was going to use the word plotting, that doesn't sound right. Um... We, we are here in John chapter 17, and I find myself again and again, and, and uh, we'll just keep this, uh, whoever's controlling this text, just keep this, uh, this slide up for me, please, and uh, I'll just refer to it. Um, I don't have my computer or my, or my PowerPoint for this message, so let's just, just jump right in. But what I want to, uh, so what I find myself in this in this wonderful chapter that we've been talking about and studying for months, and and by the way, we're studying it for months, and I don't think we're done. Uh, now, we'll, we'll, we will be done. We'll be done next week, actually. But but I don't think it's done. I don't feel done. Uh, and in fact, I feel kind of I feel stunned by this text, as I told you before, in all the different parts of the Bible and all different parts of the Scripture. Uh, we are told that God is speaking to us, and 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 that these this Bible that you have in your hands is are His words, and uh, but nowhere is that currency of God's conversation and uh, more vivid to to me than when He's talking to Himself. You see, and God uh, because He's eternal, eternal because He's so big, He's so eternal, uh, and He's so big in space and time, beyond space and time. The only way to talk about God is uh, as more than one person. Even you can't even contain him in one person. He has three persons. Well, those persons talk. That's what persons do, and we are witnesses of this conversation. And just for that reason alone, it, as if we were eavesdropping, quite intentionally, he's invited us to into the very 
conversations of an eternal God. Now, all right, that's that's where I'm at. That's what I feel like I'm kind of treading deep water all the time as we look at these ideas. And, and the idea I wanted to look at today that's here in the text and has been a part of this discourse from chapter 14 has been joy. And I have spoken on this before, and but I, I felt compelled, as Christ brings it up here, to return to it and to return to the, sub, the subject of our joy. So as I'm, you know, as I'm kind of wrestling through what to preach on next, I, I wrote joy on the top of the page. And I thought, I'm going to preach on joy. That's, that seems where I'm going. I think I talked to Corey about it briefly. I was complaining to him or something. And, and I put, put it there. And then all I had was a blank page for days. It's just a blank page. I kept looking at it. And, the, and, and one of the scary things about kind of writer's block when you're thinking is the blankness of the page itself begins to intimidate you. Because what do I have to say about joy? I, 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 I wonder. And what can I say about these joys or how can I help you or maybe how can I help you with joy? And this really bothers me because I think the challenges are significant to talking about joy. And, and, and the place I want to begin is simply because we are such hardened, extraordinarily hardened hedonists. We are pleasure seekers ourselves of such an extraordinary degree because of our wealth and our affluence, because of the internet, because of our access to good foods. And, and pleasing entertainment and con- we are hedonists. We are pleasure dilettantes. We we pick out what we want and what will give us the and we maximize pleasure and and uh, and we and we and we get things that enlarge our pleasure. Uh, you know, I and if you've ever been in my house, but you see a rather large TV. Well, it's, it's a large TV, but it's just a it's a way of getting your pleasure bigger of, of your of your experience of it. We're good at this. And, and I guess as I'm talking about pleasure and joy, as I'm thinking about it, and the, the pursuit of joy, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of, of delight, the pursuit of feeling good, that's what concerns me. Like, how do I, all right, because there's a temptation here. Maybe I can make God's joys, or maybe I can make the joys of believing, or maybe I can make the joy of faith compete somehow with you know, with good alcohol, <laughs> you know, or, or with, or with the pleasures of the flesh and, and all the different things you get. And I, I, how do I put knowing Jesus next to all the exciting things that you can feel good about all the joys that you could experience? And, and so I feel like I'm, this, this is tough. I, I, I think that if I begin that way, I'm going to fail. If I'm going to, I'm going to try to convince you that these joys are better. I, they are better, but that's, that's all the only Holy Spirit's going to be able to move in you. But then I thought about even the Christian idea of joy, and I found myself kind of kind of feeling lacking there too. I mean, the church is filled, and you have seen so many people who present themselves in a plastic fashion. Uh, they present themselves as some sort of uh, you know, um, uh, and, and uh, some sort of constant joy, but it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel significant. It doesn't invite me. I don't feel warmed by it. Have you ever been around somebody's joy, but their joy doesn't warm you? <laughs> and I guess that should be an alarm. Should be, we should be concerned about that when people's joy doesn't affect us at all. Anyway, there's a plastic joy around us. There's all the competing joys of the world and the extraordinary joy kind of delight, pleasure seeking that we are so good at. But these kind of obstacles worry me. Uh, another obstacle that worries me is just low-key Christianity. 
That's what I see around me. That's what I see sometimes in our church and our community. Uh, it's kind of a low-key Christianity. Maybe you feel a vague sense that you should be more joyful. And maybe you have a vague kind of sense of guilt about it as a Christian. And maybe in your faith system, you're like, eh, and that's if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're probably wondering what the world Christians had to be joyful about. They don't think to do any of the fun stuff. And there's all sorts of ideas like that banging around. But, but there's such a vague idea of joy in the Christian life. I, I find it even with believers. They have a very, a very uh, um, undeveloped and underexperienced, it seems, uh, idea of joy. Now, there's another kind of Christian, too, and I call them the joy junkies. They're, they're out there, they're hunting for joy. I mean, if they were going to describe what the Christian life is like and what Christian relationships they invite and what church and worship they want and and how they they process a pastor is if you make them feel joyful. They I mean they're they are on the hunt and their joy is their guide and they're little joy junkies running around from church to church or from idea to idea. And uh, we see that and and that to me that turns me off to joy too. I, I that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, that sort of, uh, that that's sort of um, uh, uh, over the top uh, search and hunt and for joy that doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like the scriptures. And then, uh, and then, I, and then I'm faced with just the problem of negative emotions. I struggle with negative emotions, depression, fear, anxiety. A lot of us do, and and we have a mountain of emo- negative emotions we deal with daily. Sometimes, and we're we're wrestling with them. And all I'm doing here is is, is describing all the ways in which I don't I, the obstacles I, I that I feel are present to to this conversation and to us and to us entering into Christ's joy entering into the joy that's promised. Take, take a look here. It's right here in verse 13. But now I am coming to you, says Jesus. There in verse 13. Christ is talking to the Father. Now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the cosmos, this whole conversation, so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Because I want to come to the last obstacle that I think is here. When it comes to this conversation, not only are we polluted and distracted by a thousand joys, not only do we create plastic versions of Christianity, not only do we sometimes use our Christianity, uh, our faith as a pretense to seek for joy, and that that was our main prerogative or main purpose in life, uh, I think we're uh, up against an even bigger problem than this, than all these problems that we have. Because even as we search for the dopamine hits that we had, that we want, to make ourselves feel better. Uh, what, are, what are the pleasures of a God? Let's just walk right there. I mean, and, and this this kind of, this is where I really feel like we might be able to begin, but this is the biggest question in front of us. Uh, one of the most amazing things about the Bible is God is described as a person of passion. He has joy. And in fact, when we meet God, one of the first times we hear about God is in Genesis 8. Uh, and and he describes himself uh, having an experience of pleasure in the faith of Noah. An experience of pleasure as Noah actually made the sacrifice after, uh, uh, made a sacrifice before God. And that sacrifice was set, is described as a pleasing aroma. And, 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 and that's where it begins. You go from Genesis, you go into, let's say, uh, let's take uh, Psalm 115 or Psalm 135. God does what pleases him in the heavens and the earth. And these descriptions of God just grow. And in fact, uh, 
This is why the spirits of God, God being a God of joy. What are the joys? of? I don't even know what those are. In other words, even as I've talked about all the things that waves be corrupt and dilute pleasure or seek it and worship it, the idea that the God of the Bible is a God of pleasure, that he, he himself is animated by his own emotional life. I, I, well, I don't even know where to take this because it's his joy. It's Christ makes it very clear. It's my joy he's giving. And this is the joy of God and our God. And if the Bible is clear about one thing, he's a God of joy, delight, pleasure. Uh, oh, it's just an amazing, it's uh, very captivating. It's very warming, very heartwarming. And, and not only is it living and kind of uh, and inviting, but it's more than that. It's theologically uh, sound. So, so what about, let's talk about the joys of God, because the joys of God are uh, uh, something else to me. That, to me, that just blows my mind that God has joy. But it's where he has that joy that really begins to, to open up. Let's take that pleasing aroma. That pleasing aroma, it's the smell of a steakhouse. See, look, an altar is a place where you slaughter lambs and oxen and sheep and and all that stuff smells super good. A rack of lamb, steak, all the, these are, it's the smells of a steakhouse. And the smells of a steakhouse are literally, it's not even described, but that is, that is what is being described about Noah's sacrifice. God experienced it like a good steakhouse smell. Uh, that that turn of phrase, the pleasing aroma, is used more in the Old Testament than almost any other term describing God's pleasures. I mean, that's, it's all about this. It's it, over and over again, Leviticus, over and over again, every sacrifice is described as bringing a pleasing aroma. In Exodus 29, as, and when the sacrificial system first kind of gives, takes birth in the tabernacle, it all gave a pleasing aroma. You go through the, all the sacrifices in numbers and all the, it was all a pleasing aroma. It's repeated as an affirmation of every sacrificial act. What's going on there? Well, we're being introduced to the pleasures of God. Can you tell where those pleasures are going? Because uh, it gets better. <laughs> Not only has God a God of pleasure. He has pleasures are focused in a very real way around the aroma of sacrifice. Why? Because it's just a setup. Because all of those sacrificial events going on thousands of years before Christ, were simply meant to advertise his, his, his delight and joy in Christ's own sacrifice for sinners. And this is where things start getting electric for me, because this is what we're being, this is what joy is in the Bible. It is God's own best joy, you see. You see, this 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 is a this is a deal. This is remakes. This is a deal breaker. This this changes, rewrites everything we do, because what we are being invited into, and what invites us, and what welcomes us, and what awaits for us, is nothing less than the delight of the Father eternally in His own Son. See, God's own best joy is Jesus and His sacrifice for sin at the cross. And there's His delight. Christ even describes himself in John 8 as someone who always does what is pleasing for him. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's this, there's this joy dimension that's in it. Now, remember, we've been looking at these transitive properties. Everywhere in this text, there's a tra everywhere in this, in this whole sermon of Christ, he makes these transitive claims. He says, look, 
If you're in me and I'm in God, then you are in God. And if you are in my love and my love is in the Father's love, then you are in the Father's love. And he keeps making these transitive connections. And I, we need to make it right here. And this, this is where joy unlocks for us. And this is where joy invites you. If you don't know Christ, let's say you haven't made a decision for him, or you tend to evaluate Christianity at a distance, I'm hoping this invites you because you're being invited to know God. And God's own best joy is his son and his son's sacrifice. Get this, if you are in Jesus, this is the, this is the transfer here. This is the transfer that, on which eternal life hangs and, and your joys depend. Well, what, what's the transfer here? God's own best joy is Jesus. If you are in Jesus, then God's own best joy is you. God's own best joy is me, me sitting here in front of us, us all sitting here on this Zoom thing. Dude, this is God, what? Now I, now I feel like I'm at a place where, where I can, the invitation to faith becomes real to me and an invitation to renew our faith and to renew our passion, to renew our joys and to renew our efforts and our desires to be one with Christ, one by believing. You know, uh, and 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 I, this is exciting. <laughs> it's God's own best joys that are here in the world now in us and in the gospel. Every time we are preaching God's gospel and preaching the news of Jesus loving sinners and rescuing them, what are we doing? We're preaching joy. We're speaking joy into the world. We are taking God's own best joy and putting it on display for the world. God's own best joy saves us. And I I get so and I want I I want to captivate this. I'm trying to think about how. How to, how to express this adequately. Because uh, joy is often thought of subjectively, right? Uh, we tend to think of it as a subjective internal reality. But this is where subjective reality of experience meets an objective truth. And it, it, it seems wonderful to me and a wonderful riddle of our faith that the meeting place of, of, our, uh, of, uh, uh, of these things is, is here in us. I, I, gets, I just, this is exciting. Um, Lost my train of thought there. Um, uh, let, let, let me let me see if I can open this up. This is the source of our joy. Is his own best joy in us? Um, I, I don't know if you you um, Marie Kondo uh, has done some delightful teaching on simplifying your life, and and I can't remember where she's from. Where's she from? Japan. Japan. And um, and she and she uh, one of the principles as you're as say you're editing your closet and you're going through your uh, some some old sweaters and shoes is to ask you, does this give me joy? And to ask yourself this question about items. And, and the items of this world do give us a form of joy. It's real. Uh, if it's in proportion in the right way. And, uh, and, and she said, does this give you joy? And that's your editing principle as you're going through your papers, as you're going through things that you've saved for years. Does it give you joy? Is there joy in it for you? And, you know, and, and, and you keep the things that still give you joy. And I think Marie Kondo is a picture of, a picture of our father, of God. And, and his love for he he you can almost picture him and there's pictures of this in the Bible him almost like rummaging through all the things he has looking at Tal looking at me looking at us and going oh yeah this is where my joy is and that's why we're kept <laughs> it's this wonderful idea that that God has discovered joy in us and 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 given joy to us and then continues to find delight in us because we're in His Son God's own best joy is yours and it's you <laughs> and it's us I. I would have thought he would have found somewhere better to find joy than this. But, but then it makes sense because he makes us beautiful in Jesus. And, and, and he finds delight. Oh, 
Can you imagine? And, and this opens up so much for us. God is delighted in you. <laughs> God wakes up with pleasure. Of course, God's always awake. But it's this picture, even as you wake, that God wakes, awake, awaits you with pleasure. <laughs> he waits you with a sense of expectation and joy as response. This is so unlike the God of so much of religion, you know, or uh, the God who's so dark and hard, terrible. Or hey, This is wonderful. It's rapturous. It's beautiful. And it, it really, it, it's invitational. That's what it is. God's own joy. And this picture of God almost rummaging through the kingdom. And, and every every point at which he has heard your prayers or seen you, he said, oh, yeah, that's one of the things I keep. That's one of the people I keep because they give me joy. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. I, to me, this, this, this vindicates everything. This kind of makes sense of everything. This is, this is um, uh, the sacrifice has revealed his best joy, and we have it. And it's a very, it's, uh, it opens up something that we wouldn't think God would open up. And that's his motives. <laughs> his motives are joy. <laughs> it's just, it's a beautiful picture. Now, this begins to make sense because we're permitted all the joys. Um, you're permitted joy in your cell phone. You're permitted a joy in, in your tea. You know, you're permitted a joy in your computer and you're com- permitted a joy in nice writing instruments and joy in books and joy in listening to music and, and all these joy they're all good they're all good things but but one of the things this alerts us to is a joy that's greater a joy that's bigger a joy that's possible a joy that is un, that is for which all of these little joys that I just pointed out are merely heralds they're merely they merely uh, it merely suggests something much greater and that is God's joy in us himself now, uh, so what I want to do is I want to walk us then through then the purpose of this joy, this God's own best joy in you, uh, the purpose of it. Uh, I've invited you into it. If you don't haven't given your faith to Christ, I invite you to now. Hey, what just ask? Ask God. Make your joy real in me, and make me your joy. Oh, what what a what a weird thing to ask of God. Make me your joy. I dare you. Make me your joy, Father. Um, okay, so. But uh, as subjective experience now meets this objective reality, we realize our present delights are now mixed with eternal longings, and, and, and his joy begins in us. So I want to look at the purpose of this joy, its power, and the practices of joy now as we kind of respond to this. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're getting a little excited about the idea of being joyful and the possibility of being joyful. What's the purpose of this joy? Well, Christ plays his hand. It's right here. And, and, and it's kind of vivid here in the text. Um, but now I am coming to you, it says in verse 13, verse 13 and I, these things I speak into the cosmos, in the, that they may have joy in themselves. Now, this text is about our vulnerability before demonic power and the power of the cosmos in the world. And in fact, just in pure context, Christ is on the eve of the cross. Now, what's the purpose here? What, there's a purpose that God has behind joy. And that is, I think, to capture our existential crisis, to capture these very things that we fear most and tell us that I, am, I have given you a joy to protect you. This world is a veil of sorrows. There are sorrows awaiting for each one of us in our loves, in our families, and even the things we want most. And there are a, there's a world of trouble in this world at times. And, and, and we are born into it as sure as the sparks fly upward. And, I, and, and that reality can be so daunting, 
So God, there's a purpose in this joy. There's an animated purpose to protect. It's a There's a prophylaxis, a, a protective kind of sheath that's around you if you have joy. That's a wonderful idea, and that's its deposit. And the idea is that it, 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 he's describing right here, and, 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 and the deposit of his words. And it, there's something else also in this language. But I am coming to you to speak these things in the cosmos. They may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The purpose is purpose is defense. Again, the cosmos hating us and all this, but it's also a purpose uh, in an expansiveness. In other words, our joy is meant to grow. It is a fulfilling and a filling joy. In other words, it can be expanded, well, which makes sense, right? Because if it's God's own best joy in Jesus, is his own best joy is you and me, then that joy we know has an eternal horizon. And that means that's how we're, oh gosh, there's so much here. Our joy can grow and ought to grow and should be growing and expanding and can. And so and with his purpose of protecting, of protecting us and watching over us and keeping us, that's what joy does. And uh, let's say that's, that's uh, now that one of the purposes of joy. Uh, let's walk on to the power of joy. And I want to look at the power of joy in two different ways that I think invite us into it. And the first is the power of joy lies in, ha- in, in its invincibility. Yeah. Because you see, once we borrow joy, once we're grabbing a joy outside uh, of space and time, it means it's no longer hooked into the circumstances. Coronavirus has nothing to say about my joy. Nothing. Zilch, Zippo. Neither does death. Neither does neither does depression. Neither does my failure. None of that does. None of it can speak or conquer or be bigger than God's own joy, His own best joy in me. Wow, you see, and and this invincibility—it's—it's—it's it's, it's present right here. Christ is talking about joy on the eve before He's whipped, scourged, beaten, and dead. I mean, He is about to go down for the count, baby. He is—he is out. He's going to die a gruesome, horrible death of execution and torture. But he believes in joy because he knows God's own best joy is himself. And he knows that that joy cannot be conquered by a grave. He knows if he sets that joy before him, remember that? Who's for the joy set before him endured the cross. I mean, he... He, that, that's everything to him. That's what Hebrews tells us. He's animated by joy as he heads the next day to his own death. And he's here, even here, it's greater than our circumstances. And in fact, uh, and this, this is where, uh, you know, in our circumstances right now, sheltering in place and, and all the fears that combat us. And we've been, we have been made, we're given an invincible joy. This is why people describe joyful experience as Christians when they've been in prison for years. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Or even if they're a failure or if they're poor or if they struggle with death and they struggle with cancer and they struggle with... You meet people in the most dire circumstances. You know, it's funny. Often people will get in a position where they look at somebody suffering and they go, well, how do they praise God? And how can anybody... You know, they'll judge God that people are suffering. But if you really know people that are suffering who know God, they experience joy despite the circumstances. And so they are animated and filled with something new, fresh and discoverable. And the power of joy is how it now applies to suffering. And this is why twice in the New Testament it happens. First James 1, count it joy when you encounter trials and sufferings. 
In other words, the suffering we're dealing with now, suffering of isolation and fear, suffering with sin and failure and doubt and despair, suffering with uh, failed marriage, suffering with your, your concerns about your kids, suffering with the fear about tomorrow, all these things that hound us and, and come in on us. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, at, 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 what are we going to do? How, how can we, we can fall back on an invincible joy? And that's why joy and rejoicing become uh, are what James talks about. And the same thing happens in Romans 5. Uh, sometimes people pit James against Paul, and that's just bad theology, bad biblical theology. And look right here. They agree. <laughs> and, and in fact, Paul uses the word rejoicing in, in Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings. Well, we rejoice in the Pope of the power. What? But you know what the word for rejoicing is there? The word for joy, having joy, boasting, bragging, <laughs> bragging about how I'm dying, bragging because God's joy is all the more clear, all the more clearly otherworldly and eternal and magnificent because of how invincible it is in all circumstances. So, uh, 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 second, uh, uh, it, uh, uh, so first, it, has, it applies to all circumstances. Let me, let me, uh, there's an expression that's used in modern filmmaking that if you watch John Wick or some of these adventure movies, that, they, that the lead character has plot armor. And, and the idea is kind of a joke. Plot armor means nothing bad's going to happen to the hero in the story. doesn't matter how people shooting at him because he has to survive for the plot to make sense. Well, God, the same thing's true about you. God has a plot. He has a story he's telling of his glory, his power, his triumph. But guess what? You have plot armor. You're invincible in that regard. You are sharers of an invincible joy. The second, the second, the second power of this is good diagnostics. Yeah, good diagnostics. What do I mean by that? Well, joy presents us with a diagnostic opportunity. In other words, you don't have joy. Why don't you have joy? It, 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 it leads us into places where we can start a, a excavating our motives, uh, excavating how much we really are attached to the cross, excavate the basics of our faith. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. Uh, and so uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a diagnostic uh, dimension to this. Let's say you're, and, and the, the psalmist himself engages in this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? What is David doing? Psalm 42 there. Psalm 42. Looking at himself, talking to himself. Because he knows God's own joy. He knows God's joys. That's one thing David is very certain about. He talks about them elsewhere. And, and, so, and so he looks inside, and, and we actually looked at that beautiful psalm today about pleasures being in God's right hand and, and joy forevermore. Oh, beautiful. Anyway, um, but uh, he says, why are you torment within me? In other words, why, when there's a lack of joy, you need to do some work diagnosing. Why? Because you may be performing for others. Burnout, for example, is a lack of joy. Well, if you're doing things in the church and caring for kids and setting up for others to be noticed, to be applauded, to be rewarded, uh, then you're, you're looking for a different joy, right? You see? And as long as you're looking for those other joys, you're, 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 you're not going to taste God's best joy. And, and this happens as we hold on to s patterns of sin that we won't repent of. And we wonder, and this diagnostic is asking, do you feel constant guilt, guilt robbing you of joy because of the way you're not dealing with, with a sin that you refuse to confess or admit or, or deal with? And it, this becomes a diagnostic tool, you see. Uh, 
It begins to explore, you know, if Christians lack joy, there's something wrong with them. It's the way it is. It's true. And it's true about me. It's true about you. And this isn't talking about depression and things like that. We sometimes will need and can need sometimes uh, medicines that, that modern science has developed that, that can balance this out. But remember, those medicines are only effective when mated and paired with good therapeutic practice. What's that telling you? You can't search for joy in its own sake. You have to search for it through other things. But in this diagnostic dimension, if you don't have joy, it causes you to ask a question. But that leads us right into the, the practices of joy. What are the practices that kind of cement joy into our lives on a daily basis? And I just want to quickly go through these so that we can, uh, so we can have some joy together in it, I hope. First, the, one of the first uh, the daily practices is going back to basics. Last week, I, I, I drew a diagram. I've drawn it before, but it's a very useful one. And in that diagram, on the top, or the top trajectory of the diagram is God's holiness increases. And the bottom part of the, of the, of the diagram is a sense of your own self-failure uh, uh, increases, what decreases, you, your sense of self decreases. So God, your opinion of God increases and, 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 and your opinion of yourself decreases. Well, bridging that gap, bridging the gap between a great God and his holiness and his joys and my personal failures is the cross. And the idea here is that we need to get back to basics daily of returning to faith and, 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 and doubling down in our faith, but just, just the practice of confession of sin. First, first John says, if we confess sins, it's a present active. It's the idea that we're going to keep doing this all the time. It's a daily ritual. Uh, do you confess? Now you see, you think, well, if I confess my sins, that sounds like, doesn't sound like a road to joy. That sounds like a road to defeat. No, it isn't because God's own best joy was to provide a sacrifice for sin. And now a door to joy is open because wonder of wonders, he loves folks like us. We exist in the beauty of his goodwill at all times. We're at rest and joy is nothing less than an attitude then, right? It's an attitude of faith. Uh, uh, an attitude of faith and an attitude of hope in light of, of the joy set before us <laughs> and what we get and where, how we proceed. And so we have to come to a daily place of confession, a daily uh, uh, ret- returning to the basics of our faith, for therein lies joy. Uh, we need to return again to the cross. You should be going to the cross every day, every day, for a bit with a vision of Christ. Renewing, because right there you're begin, you're investing and you're connecting and you're tapping into God's own best joy, and that is your best joy, because His best joy is you. Boy, what a wonderfully what a wonderful feedback loop, right? The idea that God's joy is in you, and you're just, ah, I love that. Uh, so confess daily, and then finally, uh, just kind of capturing this, capture the word. You notice the word is all over the place. Uh, these things I speak into the cosmos. Uh, what, 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 how are we, we, we as a people are forgetful and we're, and we're, and we're, we're, we're apt to want to seek joys for their own sake. It's just the way we are. We're going to do it. You're going to do it again. You're going to want feelings. You're going to want feelings for their own sake and just pursue those feelings and not the God behind them, right? Or not the gospel and the good news of his love. And, and one minute we do that, the minute we switch those roles, uh, we, 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 we find that we're, back in a diagnostic situation where we find that we're, we're no longer uh, able to feel joy. In fact, I think God will pull away from us. I think God will refuse to satisfy us with, with an experience of his deep joy as long as we're just seeking for more feelings. 
That is not feelings in a sense. This this ad is feeling because there is a feeling, a subjective dimension to it. Is a reward of the presence of the Spirit. In other words, you find joy when you're not looking for it, and when you're looking for God. How do we do that in His Word? But I'm going to go even further. So there's a way you can be in the Word that magnifies joy. Do you know what it is? Well, it's singing. Do you know how often the writers of the Bible talk about singing the parts of the Bible that they're writing? <laughs> it happens in Paul, it happens in David. Oh, yes. And so what do you find that to, brought to is, the, is, is singing, is, 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 the, uh, is the, um, the practices of joy are this constant daily renewal before the cross and the basics of my faith and my salvation, and then capturing those words spoken into the cosmos by singing them all day long. You know, it's funny, in this version, in God's, in the biblical version of our life story, it is a story of the best joys being known. <laughs> it's just amazing. And you know what it almost sounds to me? It's like life should have a soundtrack, right? I mean, it, I don't know if you've ever thought that before. Sometimes you're watching a musical. I think God must love musicals because everywhere and anywhere in the scripture that people love God, they're singing. And what are we doing when we're singing? We're, we're really adding the, a real soundtrack to the world and amazing grace, let's say. And these different, you know, you said 20 seconds to wash your hands. Well, I discovered that 20 seconds is how long it takes to, to also sing one stanza of amazing grace. And, and if you're, so if that helps, that's another way we can be back in to those joys. When we're, we're pursuing, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting, that diagnostic question that David asked himself, my, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? You know what his answer is? Yet I will yet praise him. His answer is praise. What is praise? Praise is joy talking, joy alive, God's own best joy returning to him as we know it, experience it, and see it in the face of Jesus, in the face of each other. And this just gets bigger and better every way we cut it. Now you and me become sharers in joy because God's joy is so big, we can give it to each other. Now we become people who sing together and bring each other to joy. And, and, and now we enlarge each other. Oh, we, we become a joy, joy machine. <laughs> you know, it occurs to me, going back to where I started, that did, I don't know if I got anywhere. I hope I did. You know, it's it's not, not easy to talk about joy because it's so subjective. And we don't want to locate our faith or our confidence in our feelings in some subjective experience. But we cannot escape the fact that our faith does have a subjective reality. Where does that subjective reality meet objective truth? Well, I think it meets it in joy. And that's a joy we're invited into daily. And I, and I hope you hear, and I hope you feel, and I hope you sense, I hope you can respond to uh, the invitation uh, from, from Jesus, from our Father, into all of his joy. <laughs> you know, in fact, that's how heaven's sometimes described. Let's praise him together. <laughs> oh, Father, to enter into your joy. I think that, I forget where that's described. I think it's where you, one of the parables, enter into your joy. Help us to enter into your joy today. Help people, help folks who have not given their lives totally to you, who don't have faith in you yet, 
to to begin to wonder or 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 be curious about your best joys, <laughs> your best joy in your son, and the possibility that's there. And Father, the minute we talk about subjective experience, we all know, every one of us knows that our subjective experiences are not objective measured. They don't tell us what the world's really like necessarily. But when they meet this objective reality, when 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 our, when your father, when your subjective experience meets ours and fills it like this, then something really happens. Would you give us a deeper, more lasting taste of your joy? Father, will you will you invade and pick up and arouse us to new heights of joy? Father, will you help us uh, with some of the fuzziness we have about about um, delight and uh, and having good feelings and our do we deserve good feeling? All these silly things that come into our minds, Father. Just take us through the maze of our own hearts and our own desires into your joy. Father, if we've been looking for joy in places we shouldn't, and if we have been hoping for joys, lasting joys and things that are temporary, please forgive us. And we thank you for a thousand joys you give us in our lives and our kids and our food and our days and in weather and all the and, and all the beautiful things of this world. But we thank you that we have something even more certain than these. Something that actually informs all these other joys and even increases them. And that's your best joy in me, in us, in Jesus, your son. I want to thank you that you were pleased with the aroma of your son's sacrifice. You were so pleased that that pleasure goes on and you are pleased now in this moment with all these folks and all of us sitting here on Zoom and that you are well pleased. And we're going to stand in that, Father, and rejoice in it. We're going to, we want to move in that and live in it. Help us this week to put into practice daily a daily confession of sin and holding on to your word and singing for our joy. Help us to put before us your, your joy and focus on it, Father, and to make it ours. And, and help us to awaken to it if we haven't awoken to it before. And help us to, to begin to see it and want it and hunger for it if we haven't hungered before. But all this, Father, um, I pray you'd fill the blank page that was in my heart and fill the blank page that sits before us about joy and fill it up with Jesus and even more. Put us into practice in our lives our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's proclaim together the mystery, even the joy, of our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. <laughs> praise him. You know, what is that statement, praise him, but that command, praise him, hallelujah, praise God. What is that but an invitation <laughs> into his joy? We now, uh, we don't celebrate communion in this time because we acknowledge by our not celebrating communion that this is not what God intended. He intended us to live flesh on flesh in his kingdom. And so as we continue in this, we, we, we are continuing not to, and, but we do continue to affirm our faith together. So let's do that because this is one of our joys. This is where our joys come from. This is why they're lasting because they're his own best. 
and they're right here in the Apostles' Creed. So, dear Christian, tell me, what do you believe? And will somebody advance that slide? Thank you. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.